Hey everybody, it's Dan Budnick. Welcome to episode two of Rockin' All Week with You, the Happy Days podcast. This is episode two, and we are covering episodes three and four of Happy Days from the end of January 1974, start of February 1974. Richie's Cup runneth over, and guess who's coming to visit? And I want to thank all of you who who uh, wrote in about the, the first episode, and uh, it, it seems like folks generally enjoyed it. I didn't get anyone telling me I was a nerd or a jerk or anything like that, so I think that is good. Now, having said that, uh, this episode will be shorter than the previous one. It's just the two episodes, and I don't have any real background to go into. We are going to discuss uh, very briefly, I think, sort of, again, what time period I think this is set, and we might hit on some diegetic, non-diegetic sound. Actually, we will in the first episode, uh, which I mentioned at the end of the last one. And uh, and hopefully I'm trying to get in everything I can, say everything I can think of to say about these episodes, but not make a Dollsville, baby. And so there will be some things I miss, and you'll say, oh, well, Dan, how did you not see that in that scene, Potsy is, is carrying a bag that has this in it, and the only time you could get that was during the space in between November 56 and March 8th, 1957, and so that means it must be, you know, something like that. I'm not going to get it all. I wish I could. I... I'm trying, though. I'm trying. That's one of the things that kept me from uh, this, this show for so long. It's because if you, if you go to any of my other podcasts, like um, my Minute by Minute podcast, where I cover the various horror movies and such, and right now it's One Minute with European Zombies, circa 1980, Zombie Lake and Burial Ground. When you go minute by minute, you tend to hit all the beats and everything you need. And eventually Super Train, which I realize now we're up to episode 64, and I've covered over 200 episodes of things. <laughs> Um, you don't. You're not going to hit on everything on that. And sometimes, yeah, obviously, when you have a guest host, that works. And I will have guest hosts on here, folks. Just right now, we're in early days, so I'm trying to hit on everything. I'm trying to cover everything, but I'm not. I'm trying to keep it moving, also. So this one will be speedier than the last one, probably. And and having said that, I just talked for two minutes about how this episode is going to be speedier, and uh, forget about it. What we're going to do now is uh, I'm going, we're going to hop right to January 29th, 1974. Uh, this one's written by William S. Bickley and Bob Bruner, directed by Jerry Paris, and this is Richie's Cup Runneth Over. Well, I saw my baby walking Marine Private First Class Arnold Drysdale is having a stag party, and he's invited his cousin, Potsy Weber. Potsy Weber has invited his best friend, Richie Cunningham. And they're going to go, and they're going to enjoy some funny wedding gag gifts, plates full of cold cuts, beer, and dirty pictures. At least that's what Potsy promises Richie. Richie gets out of an evening with Aunt Bessie, who no one seems to like, and they fill themselves up with milk to coat their stomachs, although the Fonz tells them olive oil is the best thing to use to coat your stomachs to keep from getting drunk. They go to the party. They get drunk. By time a young lady jumps out of a cake by the name of Averne Laverne, Potsy and Richie are sauced. Luckily, 
Vern uh, has a car and lives in Richie's neighborhood, and she takes him home. But what is Mr. and Mrs. C and Joni going to think when they see Drunk Richie? That's about it, really. There's not much... Uh, this this isn't a subtly nuanced episode. It's Richie goes to a party. He and Pazzi get drunk. He comes home with more or less like a showgirl, Richie. And then the family deals with Richie's drunkenness. We will talk about that in a moment. I just wanted to say uh, this is the first episode with... Um, the great oh why am I uh, Beatrice Cohen who plays Marsha waitress who we will see throughout this season in the next one she is in this at the beginning uh, we're outside uh, and she is going up to a car that has uh, Ralph has put a mannequin from his father's store now his father's a dentist I'm not sure what he means by his father's store but um, put a mannequin in there and Marsha goes up to it again we don't know that her name is Marsha in this and the head falls off and she screams and yells and I I appreciate that she'd be scared but I also appreciate that maybe she should learn more about human anatomy and that when you shake someone she does shake the mannequin rather violently miss are you miss and she must be it must be a long day can you give her the real shake and then the head falls off and there's no blood there's no um gore viscera anything like that you know and that's not really the way um you know decapitated heads worked back even in the 50s as far as i know they didn't work like that remember brain that wouldn't die uh, that was around the same time so so we see it yeah, we see marcia there and she says she's quitting and then she leaves and through a bit of chicanery the mannequin head ends up in a trash can that she leans near and she screams again and runs away and everyone laughs at her and it's fun but that's marcia we'll be seeing much more of marcia and of course marcia has a lovely scene um uh, what is it? She's the Picasso Pistachio, if I remember correctly, in, in one of my all-time favorite episodes of the show in season two. And I just wanted to... This is written by um, Bob Bruner. Bob Bruner. Bob Bruner uh, was a guy who worked closely with uh, Gary Marshall for quite some time. I guess he was the one, apparently, who came up with Fonzie as the nickname for Arthur Fonzarelli. And also... I guess created the phrase sit on it, which we haven't heard yet, although we do see Fonzie gives a th- give a thumbs up in this one. I don't think we've... We see him gives a thumbs up, and then we see him gives a thumb thumbs up, and then down at the end. Uh, but I think this is the first thumbs up from the Fonz. And the Fonz is still in his non-leather jacket coat. Windbreaker. I, I just called the non-leather jacket. He's in his coat rather than his jacket. How about that? When I say coat, that's that sort of greenish-gray thing he wears. When I say leather jacket and I stop differentiating, uh, then we know it'll be Leather Jacket from there on. I forget the point when it happens, but it'll happen soon. But yeah, um, yeah, Bob Bruner, yeah, he wrote for Happy Days, he wrote for Odd Couple, uh, Blansky's Beauties, Laverne Shirley, uh, did, a, did a lot of stuff. He was the one, oh, this is jumping too far ahead, but I believe he was the one who wrote the opening... <sighs> no, Fred Fox wrote part three, but I think I think he, Bob Bruner wrote, didn't he write uh, Hollywood parts one and two, which sets up the Jump the Shark... He he was oh my gosh oh my gosh I'm again I I forgot he's he was he he was involved in two sitcoms that I really quite enjoy, well one that I love and one that I find fascinating one is Working Stiffs with Jane Belushi uh, James Belushi uh, Jim Belushi and, and Michael Keaton uh, which is a lot of fun which they put on on VHS and which they would occasionally show on like A and E and he did another one called Brothers and Sisters which was one of the three sitcoms that came out around the exact same time in 79 each network had was a co-ed fever brothers and sisters in delta house each network had a 
Animal House ripoff. Co-ed Fever, I think, was CBS. I'm going to get that wrong. ABC was Brothers and Sisters. NBC was was Delta House. I could get the I could have got the networks wrong. Delta House was the one actually made by the National Lampoon folks. Co-ed Fever was the one one of those notorious ones that only aired one episode. And Brothers and Sisters um, aired some episodes and. Um, and if, in fact, on a Battle of the Network Stars, um, uh, one of the actors is on there um, shilling for Brothers and Sisters uh, circa 1979. But yeah, so he created that. That's a fascinating story. I don't know if you know that story. I'll tell that story on a later, in a later date, on a later, upon a later date. But that's, that's 1979. And that's throwing back to, when was Animal House? The 60s? I prefer King Frat. But anyway, so that's, uh, yeah, Bob Bruner. Uh, is one of the writers here. And uh, let's see, uh, William S. Bickley was the other writer. He was involved with Perfect Strangers and, and Family Matters and Getting By and, of course, the wonderful, awesome Out of the Blue, which we will be talking about probably around the same time we talk about Brothers and Sisters, although we're not going to talk about Brothers and Sisters in detail because that has nothing to do with Happy Days. Anyways, uh, oh, Vern Laverne is on the screen right now, and she's delightful. Um what was I saying? Yeah, yeah. This 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 episode is really straightforward. I, I guess the other two were were also. This one is. It really is all about them getting drunk and and uh, yeah, Richie going home with the showgirl who's really sweet. My favorite joke in the episode. You see her come. She pops up out of a cake and she's wearing like looks like kind of a marine type shirt and hat and she's wearing like um uh, like. I think like blue hot pants and like fishnet stockings and she basically kind of jumps around making jokes about the the marines so so she, she basically if you could imagine like what Bob Hope used to do you know um uh like during his radio show during World War II and all the shows you'd see where he was in front of the troops imagine that but with a really cute blonde in hot pants and fishnet stockings uh, sitting on everyone's lap so imagine you know this is a this is a Bob Hope variation and frankly one that I quite like so yeah and Vern Laverne of course turns out to be real sweet as as um, a lot of the characters like this are if in fact the, the jerky characters in this episode seem to be there's one marine in particular who he looks very familiar. I meant to look up who he was, but in my mind, I just want to... I mean, he, he's the kind of, like, big guy who's like, will devour you if, you know, he gets... You know, if you get trapped in a cave and you know you're going to be in there for 12 hours, he'll have eaten you by the end of the 12 hours, even if you know you're getting out and you're going to be okay kind of thing. Um, so what else do we have in this episode? There's a lot that's going on, but there's not a lot uh, in a sort of historical fashion. It's It's a standard... You know, high school guy goes out and gets drunk for the first time. I didn't get drunk for my first time until I was 25. So I didn't. I didn't have all this. I didn't. I we snuck out to parties and things like that. We didn't do anything. Well, they didn't sneak out to this party. Actually, they they tell there is a scene very specifically where uh, Mr. C is sitting in his living room reading a newspaper, and I couldn't. All I could see was the word school in the headline and someone who I kept thinking was like Roger Moore on a picture on the back. But I, I thought, Roger Moore's probably not on the back of a 1957 Milwaukee newspaper. There, There's a scene where Aunt Bessie's coming over and Joni's already gotten out of it going to sleep over. Uh, Chuck, who we do see in here, mostly speaking through his basketball. I'm not going to elaborate on that. He gets out of it and then Richie shows up and he gets out of it so we can go to this stag party. And and it's funny because Mr. C isn't like a stag party. What's going on? He's like, Okay, Richie, be good, you know, don't don't do anything stupid. And yo, know, Richie almost immediately does something stupid, but but there you go. What else? 
the Fonz is more integrated into this episode. He's the first regular character we see. He's sitting on his bike reading a magazine that I could only see the word track in the title, which I figured. I figured he wasn't reading Life or, or you know, po- uh, Popular Scientist. Is that, is that the thing I was, I was, that was going to say? Uh, po- everyday Scientist? I, I, I was, it was going to become Popular Mechanics there for a second, and then I thought, no, he would be reading that. But, but you know, something like that. He's reading something related to motorcycles or, or tracks or, or something like that. And there are a whole bunch of gals hanging around him, of course, as you see, and he gives a thumbs up when the head falls off the mannequin. And then you see him later on when... Uh, Patsy and Richie are drinking lots and lots of milk to coat their snow. I thought it was buttermilk that you used. Isn't there that great? Um, uh, well, it's not Batman getting drunk, but there. It's not the Batuzi episode. There's an episode where Batman drinks like six glasses of buttermilk because someone's going to poison him later on. It'll stop the poison. I forget what the episode is, but so, buttermilk. But um, Fonz says it's olive oil. And so the guys are drinking, trying to keep it cold. You actually see some Marines at the party right before the drinking games begin, like drinking lots of milk. And Richie and the Fonz have this conversation. It's it's funny. They don't seem quite like friends yet. It seems rather guarded, you know, like like that kind of person you really want to be a friend. Oh, um, geez, I'm, I'm thinking I, I just rewatched yesterday. The rats are coming. The werewolves are here. And there's that... The the middle sister is it Monica, the one who's really crazy and always is tearing stuff up and and torturing her her brother Malcolm. She has a scene with a friend who she kills. Sorry, spoiler, like in in gazebo who has seen her family do some stuff. I want to say her friend's name is Rebecca, and Rebecca's uh, very much like reminded me of this sort of thing where it's like Monica's. I think her name is Monica. Is just kind of standing there like yes. You are my friend. I was your friend. What do you mean? I'm not your friend. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant you still are my friend. Oh, thank you so much. I love you so much. You're the best. Yes, I know. Now, and and that that sort of thing where it's like Richie's like, hey, hey, Fonz, what's happening? And he's trying to butter up the Fonz and say nice things to the Fonz. And the Fonz is only slightly interested. They have a chat about stuff that the Fonz has written on the bathroom wall. And I'm told I have a real flair for it. Eh, maybe he does. I bet he does. I, I. It's funny. I. Uh, it, it, the the Fonz just becomes such a. It's he's so interesting to see in these early episodes where they are making him out to be semi delinquenty uh, with his motorcycle and writing stuff on the bathroom walls and. Uh, but he he he'll become much better than that as we go. It's it's very early days there. But anyways. They're going, uh, the guys are getting uh, getting drunk, and uh, they do get shown a pack of uh, dirty playing cards. We don't see them, but apparently the gal on the Ten of Diamonds is uh, really lovely. And they play they play a drinking game called Sloppy Sixties. I have a good time with that. That's, that's the one where they, they drink lots and lots of little glasses of beer, and eventually, like, Richie's drunk, like, 72 of them teeny-weeny glasses. Oh, boy. Uh, let's see what else do we have going. Yeah, Vern Laverne shows up and she does her dance and it's it's really sweet and oh I'm sorry I didn't get to my favorite I got lost in the Vern Laverne there. Um, my favorite my favorite joke in the episode is you see her pop out of the cake and she does her dance and then Richie's really drunk. I don't know quite what happens to Potsy and we don't quite learn either what happens to Potsy. It's just sort of we see him drunk at the party then we see him sort of the next day and it's like oh my gosh what happened how did I get home did I make a fool of myself and the Fonz gives him the thumbs up and then down and you think I hope. I mean, this, you know, 
this isn't uh, this isn't uh, you know uh, a rough and ready rebel without a cause uh, juvenile delinquent type thing. You know, it's not like like Richie's going to suddenly wind up drunk, you know, with with no pants in an alley, and, and Potsy's going to you know wind up I don't know in a stuffed into a locker somewhere naked or something. I'm sorry, I took that too far, but you know what I mean. It's not going to end up with something terrible having happened to them. You know, sweet Richie is going to get home safely with a sweet gal who doesn't do anything really all that salacious when she jumps out the cab. I love that, that it's just like the, these are just Marines. Although there is one guy, if you pause it, if you if you watch in the episode on the DVD and you pause it around 13 minutes and 44 seconds, Vern is, is kind of knelt down on the table. She's got her arms in the air and everyone's kind of applauding. But if you look, if you look to where Richie is and then look to his left, there's a guy who is probably a serial killer and he's like, he's looking directly at her behind and he, it looks, he, he's clapping, but it looks, it, it, because of someone else's hand next to his head, it looks like he's reaching. It looks like he's almost re- reaching across to do that. That's a, uh, do nice Marines do that? I don't know. I was never a Marine. And look at the, um, uh, look at the, uh, the, the foreshadowing here. I mean, we're only three episodes in and, and there's a bunch of guys, you know, all fresh, they said from Korea. So, um, I, 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 don't imagine they they fought in the war unless they fought in the mash version of the war which went 11 years but um i don't know i'll I'll have to check that what because again i'm saying this is 1957 and we'll talk about the year in a moment yeah i i'm I'm just thinking i i always thought with people who would say like oh well you know the korean war lasted what 50 to 53 54 53 i think 50 53 i'm 50 53 which means i guess these guys probably didn't fight in korea i mean maybe some of them did but i'm not sure about potsy's cousin i I guess he could have if this is 57 it's been over for four years i guess they probably showed up post post the war to hang out although they could have fought in the war I, i don't know again let me get my favorite joke which i keep i keep not getting near is that so she jumps out of the cage she does her dance richie can you take richie home sure richie's in the front seat of the car and he's drunk and she's being very sweet uh, but when you see her car going down the road, it's kind of like a pickup truck, and in the back is the giant cake that she jumps out of. <laughs> I love the fact that Vern Laverne has own cake. You know, must have own cake. M H O C. I just love that. That's a great gag, and I don't, I don't know. I'd have to look again, see see if they the laugh they, the laugh track juices that one up. Uh, having said that, uh, mentioned the laugh track. Uh, obviously, later seasons of the show from the third on would have a live audience shot multiple camera. This is still when they were shooting it like they shot most sitcoms in the 50s and 60s or more like a short film, as they, they've said uh, elsewhere. And it feels like that. And it's great because if look look at the scene with the sloppy 60s and in the party, there's a lot of nice cutting back and forth. I mean, he drinks 72, Richie drinks 72 teeny weeny glasses, but we only see him drink a few. It's nice because they're able to do it. more. It's more filmic. They're able to cut, jump ahead in the narrative, time jump ahead. Not like time jump, like... Uh, you know, like uh, Futurama and the Harlem Globetrotters and what was it, the Chronotons. No, I mean, like, they're able to narratively leap ahead in the, 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 the story and, and get Richie drunk, and you don't have to see it all happening. You know, like, say, like Lucy getting drunk, where you see every glass and you see her getting more and more drunk. And that was funny. That was Lucy doing that, and that was, that was a hoot. And if this had been done in season four or five or on another uh, show, that, that would have that would have been happening there. We, we would have probably most likely seen a very long scene where they would get really drunk and then were probably faded and then come back up where they're super drunk rather than a series of cuts here and it almost sneaks up on you. He's like, now they're drunk, which is fun. I like that. They're using, they're, they, they made the choice to do 
uh, atypical sitcom in the 19, 1974 and they're using it which I like and plus this would have been a big difference from your All in the Family your Sanford Son your Maude your Mary Tyler Moore your Bob Newhart and all, all that kind of thing that was happening at that moment which is nice too and this this one doesn't hit you quite as much with the this is the 50s this is the 50s this is the 50s, but it still is the 50s uh, I think two more things I'm trying to make this shorter but, I, but I've been talking for a lot about I guess there's a lot to say two more things um Three more things. Four? Uh, Vern Laverne is lovely. I don't think she ever returns, but she's lovely. And poor Richie. He, um, he's so sauced. He's so gone that when he's standing there talking to Vern Laverne and, and you know, she, um, he's like, well, I, I never had a girl bring me home before. And he wants to try to give her a kiss, but she's very magnanimous you know and is like no no please go on in and then you know she introduces he she she meets mr c and you know richie says she should come over for dinner tomorrow and Vern says sure you know she's not going to come over for dinner tomorrow but she's lovely and, she, and it's a real sweet scene and then we get the closing sequence where yeah richie is drunk and uh, mr c is there and ushers him into the bathroom when he needs to be sick and mrs c is very worried and Joni has come home early from her sleepover because she was starting to fall asleep and she's trying to figure out what's going on too and when she sees I love that when Joni sees how drunk Richie is. Oh my gosh, you know Richie's all grown up. Richie's a man today. Richie is a man in Mississippi. With he is D R U N K. It's a very nice scene because uh, once Mister C realizes what's going on, he doesn't chastise him. He doesn't punish him. He doesn't browbeat him in any way. He says to him, "You know, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're feeling pretty bad right now, and it might get a little worse before it gets better." So I think that's punishment enough, and it's kind of a lovely scene where, where you don't feel like. I mean, I, I don't. I'd have to go look to see if they. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure there were episodes like this in the 50s, early 60s. Now there was never an episode where the Beeve got drunk, did he? Or like Father Knows Best, like Bud gets tipsy. I, I would imagine. I would imagine like the way they couldn't say Lucy was pregnant, would be Bud gets tipsy. Of course, this was after the 60s when we had you know our classic drunk Otis. And there's that great Petticoat Junction episode. It was at Kathy Joe's first birthday. I'm sorry, I went off on a, on a drunk tangent here. Uh, but the uh, Kathy Joe's first birthday, where um, Mr. Drucker's put out by the fact that the Pixley Town drunk has come to see him in Hooterville, and he doesn't have any place to put him because he doesn't have his cell. I don't know why I just thought of that. But uh, I, I would think, I mean, this is this is one of the coming-of-age things, like the boy or the... I, I, I can't really think of an episode prior to this where a gal gets drunk I mean I figure they all got drunk on Facts of Life at least once and they, we learned a new lesson each time but I, I would think and I'd have to go back I'm not that conversant in 50s sitcoms I'm more so with 60s I, uh, this, this 50s stuff I love is like Meet Corliss Archer and the Honeymooners you know no one's getting drunk and Meet Corliss Archer and, and Ralph can get as drunk as he wants no he shouldn't though uh, maybe he, he and Alice could get uh, never mind uh I, I like the fact that I think if this were in the 50s, there would have to be more of... And because it was the time, especially in the second half of the 50s, juvenile delinquency and stuff, this would have to be the time of, you can't drink again, you can't do this, da-da-da, and punishing him forever and that kind of thing. I like the fact here that it's just very much like Mr. C is like, yeah, you know what, I've been there. Uh, your mother got drunk at Uncle Leo's wedding and, and kind of made a, a silly fool of herself. You know, until like your grandma did the Charleston in orthopedic shoes or something like that. You know, and they get him a pot of coffee and Richie drinks the coffee and hopefully he'll feel better soon. You know, and in the end, everything's okay. And, you know, he met this sweet lady who he'll probably never see again, but she has her own cake that you can probably have own cake fits too. That's my thought. That's the kind of cake I want. Yeah. I hope she doesn't get trapped in that. I imagine there's no like locking or bolting mechanism. It's probably just setting it down like a hat on your head and then you just 
pop it off. So that is that is that. Yeah, it, it ends lovely. It's really it's really quite a l- nicely constructed episode. It's well put together. The uh, the party sequence isn't the main sequence. The main sequence is more the 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 closing sequence, the much quieter sequence with Richie. I guess learning his lesson, but learning his lesson in the way I guess we all learned our lesson when we that day when we had too much to drink for the first time. So it's yeah it's 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 a it's a fun episode uh it, it's got some laughs in it i don't i you know it's not gonna drive you wild I'm, I'm fairly certain whatever fred sanford was up to this week was probably funnier and i'm fairly certain possibly with mary tyler moore and i think like season two and three are my favorite bob newhart show seasons so there was probably funnier stuff going on there but this is this is charming and it takes you back to a time that maybe you don't remember because you weren't born then but you could certainly remember the the situation he's in so I would just like to discuss uh, the diegetic, non-diegetic sound and the year. Again, I'm sticking with this being 1957. I'm saying that because in the end, they all shook up is playing when they are inside Arnold's. Uh, We hear Hound Dog playing at the start, which I will mention again in a moment. And somewhere in here, See You Later Alligator was playing. I am watching the officially released DVD of this. Now, I know in later seasons they began to take music out and replace it, but I was fairly certain that in the first season most of the music was there. I mean, they got Elvis doing El Shook Up, for for heaven's sake. They got Rock Around the Clock at the beginning of every episode. You know, uh, so I I think they they spent some money on this one. But this one has more sort of... um, a linking bits of music that are just sort of generic. <laughs> Not that they're doing happy days, but you know, just sort of generic like 50s music rather than actual songs. I'm hoping that's not because they took the songs out. I'm hoping that's just because, you know, we can't keep getting the rights to songs forever. Just play something vague. They already know we're here. We don't have to remind them every single scene. But we do hear, yeah, See You Later, Alligator, Hound Dog, and All Shook Up. All Shook Up, again, is playing in Arnold's during the final scene. Uh, It was playing in... Was it All the Way or, or The Lemon? It was playing in one of the last... It was playing in the last episode, The Lemon. Uh, and that was a song, a number one Elvis track that came out in early 57, which makes me set this in 57. There's not much else sort of reference to to times in here, so it isn't sort of all over the place. See, see Later Alligator is, is, is from a couple years before that, and Hound Dog is from 56. If it is the Elvis version, I'll, I'll mention this in a moment. I like to think that this is an autumn of 57. The things that make me say it might be in spring of 57... Uh, well, I guess we're going to have to watch the season. I haven't had any... It's not winter. It's not su- It's not summer, obviously, because school isn't. It's not winter because no one's dressed for winter. So it's spring or autumn. I can't tell which yet. We might find out as we go. The show is cumulative. This show, our show, what you're listening to here is cumulative. But it's not sort of backwards cumulative, really. Although maybe it will be. Maybe if I learn what's going on time-wise in episode 8. I'll come back and put it here, but I probably won't. You'll have to listen and grow with me. Yeah, it's either spring or it's autumn. I can't quite tell. I kind of wish it was autumn because I like the thought of a school year starting and folks still making friends and, and, and relationships growing and things like that. Although if if, if Richie is if it's about a junior or whatever, he's probably pretty ensconced in his world. But the thing that makes me say it's spring is one that the, the, the season aired in the first half of the year rather than beginning like a regular season at the time which would be um autumn to spring this was a mid-season so it goes from winter to spring or does it go to winter to summer winter let's say winter to spring so that's what kind of makes me set it in spring that it's set around the time when we're watching it and by my evidence for that is that the next season season two which begins in autumn has a halloween episode and a christmas episode so unless that is specifically 58 or 57 we won't know until it happens so if it is 
50 if that's 57 hmm i'm on i'm on i just thought of that right now so so if the second season which seems to cover more of a school year and more how it aired and more with naming holidays sets it specific times does that mean that this is the this first season's first half of 57 and the second season will be 57 to 58 or or will this be 57 in the first season and then we're in 58 in the next season i don't know we'll see as we go we'll learn as we go i i'm gonna i'm gonna say more that this is spring 57 than 58 in the fact that a good jukebox of the time would keep you updated with the latest hits and in september 57 Elvis released Jailhouse Rock, which went to number one. So I think Jailhouse Rock, unless having a song with Jailhouse in the title, wouldn't be something you'd play in a place like Arnold's. That would be the thing you'd hear more. I mean, two episodes in a row we've heard All Shook Up, which was a huge hit for Elvis in the first few months of 57. So I would think that uh, by the time you hit Autumn, his he had another hit in June, Let Me Be Your Teddy Bear, would be on there. So you, you even think maybe that would be planned. That would be perfect. That would be, it's completely innocuous. You would have that playing in September, October. Um, but the fact that they're still playing All Shook Up and they haven't updated the Elvis song, to me, says this is probably spring of 57. Having said that and wrapping this up and going on to the next episode, one more thing, the diegetic versus non-diegetic. The non-diegetic sound, as I mentioned in the addenda, non-diegetic is sound that, I'll just read it off of filmsound.org, sound whose source is neither visible on the screen nor has been implied to be present in the action. Narrator's commentary, sound effects which added for dramatic effect, mood, music. All Shook Up, which is playing in Arnold's, I say is diegetic, they're hearing it, However, Hound Dog is playing when the episode starts. And when mostly visual stuff is happening, uh, when Fonz is sitting in his motorcycle, you can hear Hound Dog playing. And then as Richie and Ralph come up and say, look, we got to put the mannequin in there. And then Marsha approaches the mannequin. The music kind of fades out. We get the, ah, the screaming at the mannequin. Then Richie has a chat with Potsy and then a chat with Ralph. And then when they all disperse and we go to one more visual gag, the music rises up again. So the fact that the music is kind of there in the background and then fades and then isn't there for a long stretch and we're in the same location and then fades back in, that's non-diegetic sound to me. They're not hearing Hound Dog. They probably wouldn't be hearing Hound Dog anyways. Um, if that was Elvis's track, that, that would have come out over a year before that. So they, they probably, I mean, it was one of the biggest selling rock and roll singles in the history of anything. So yeah, they could still be playing Hound Dog. But the fact that if you listen, it kind of fades out when the mannequin head comes off and then random music fades back in and i can't even quite tell is that elvis's version of hound dog that's playing it sounds like elvis but if you listen to the uh never go driving and you ain't no friend of mine and it goes to the guitar solo there are two guitar solos on his version of hound dog and neither of those solos the the neither of the opening notes for those solos sort of match what's playing they're definitely not the first solo it could be the second solo with a couple of notes missing or that we can't hear. I'm going to say it's the Elvis Hound Dog. It could be a cover. It could be, it ain't, um, what is it, Freddie Bells or whoever the, the version that Elvis heard um, where they changed the lyrics to make it more like a Hound Dog that made him record the song. But I'm, I'm going to say for the moment that is Elvis. That is his version from 1956. And we are hearing it in a non-diegetic fashion, which means no one there is hearing it, just us. So we can disregard that. That is just setting mood. All Shook Up is setting at 57. I'm saying spring 57 is when this episode takes place. I am going to miss Vern Laverne. Funny wedding, funny wedding night gag gifts, beer, tray full of cold cuts, and dirty pictures. That is living the high life. All right, February 5th, 1974. 
Guess Who's Coming to Visit, directed by Jerry Paris, written by Lowell Gans and Mark Rothman. Here we go. One, two, three. Splish, splash, I was taking a bath. Long about a Saturday night. The tub, I put my feet on the floor. I wrapped the towel around me and I opened the door. And in a splish splash, I jumped back in the bath. Well, how was I to know there was a party going on? There was a splishing and a splash. Let's discuss Guess Who's Coming to Visit, which is the almost drag racing episode of the show, and introducing a character named Skizzy. And his gal, Jean, who Richie has a fondness for, and she seems to have a fondness for him. Skizzy is sort of like um, uh, the lame Fonz, I guess is the way you describe him. Uh, he has his own his car, and he's drag racing in it, and Ralph pulls up in his car. And this is, remember, this is, you know, Ponzi would become really dumb as time went on. And in this, he's kind of like a schemer, always coming up with stuff, always wanting to sneak out and do things. And Ralph was the jokester. Ralph's not really the jokester. I mean, they did the thing with the mannequin in the last episode, but he's not really the jokester yet. Just in the same way that his dad's not a dentist yet. But Ralph has souped up his car, make it a drag car, and so Skizzy challenges Ralph to a race. The font says he'll do the racing, so they're going to do a race that evening, and it's going to be wild. And Potsy is staying with the Cunninghams for the night, for a few days, for something. His parents won some sort of thing and they're going out of town and they'll be back and but uh Potsy's going to stay with the Cunninghams for the evening he's the one who's coming to visit and apparently he pretty much gets on Mr. C's nerves uh and they kind of badmouth each other with your dad always goes away and washes his hands whenever I come on over I he just keeps leaving the room and oh Potsy's coming over he's gonna wear that same striped shirt and whatever I am these things happen and the the time of the race keeps getting pushed back from like seven to eight to nine to midnight or something like that and eventually uh uh ralph and uh, I, i'm sorry well well ralph is there obviously but potsy and richie sneak out and they're there on airport road and there's a whole bunch of people there and they're going to drag and richie's going to be the one to do the flag thing meanwhile back at home mrs c discovers that the guys have gone Joni spills the beans about where they've gone and um uh, I, 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 you know, I hesitate to say I'm, I'm spoiling it because this is a very, very old episode of television. But right as Richie is about to lower the flag and start the race, Mr. C shows up, grabs the flag right when the cops show up, and everyone, including Mr. C, gets arrested and everyone gets grounded. And there's a really weird scene at the end. Plus, there's a great, there's a, there's a fun scene when Potsy comes over to talk about. Um, staying over where you see uh, Joni practicing baton twirling in the garage and uh, Chuck and uh, Richie are playing basketball and Richie loses by a lot. Having said that, yeah, this episode is the drag race episode that doesn't quite become the drag race episode, which is more about Richie and Potsy sneaking out and getting in trouble. And it's it's funny, I yeah, I guess I get it it's weird that they the Cunninghams are okay with him going to a stag party with Marines, but they're not okay with him going to drag race. I mean, it was drag racing. This was 1957-ish. We may have a trouble with that dating a little bit later, unless I could talk my way, uh, our way out of it. Um, but yeah, it was drag racing. Drag racing, which... Now, I didn't look up much on drag racing. I, I know it was a 50s thing. You see it pop up in, in movies, and it's always like the bad kids doing the drag racing. Although I, I seem to 
I think encounter more drag racing stuff from that time about drag racers and like like more like hot rod stuff where like drag racers well we don't do that kind of thing we're not about that but they always seem to end up in drag racing anyways it began apparently in the 30s but became big after world war ii and then throughout the 50s as teens started going out and getting cars and driving and stuff i again i'm saying that this is 1957 or after 1957 because they used to use what was it like nitro or whatever in their cars to drag race to really speed things up i only know nitro from like did generally have something some 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 show i grew up with the car like had nitro where you'd push a button and there were like an extra like canisters or something underneath the car and so they boom the car would take off those were banned in drag racing in 57 so no one mentions those during the race which to me says though those are out of the those don't get mentioned you know it would be something like if it were before that i think you'd have a moment where ralph would go look at this point under the car and you'd see like the canister of nitro or something for me my main uh the main place i know um drag racing from are movies like daddy-o and uh giant gila monster does that have drag racing no that's just got hot rod and stuff in it i was gonna say ghost of drag strip hollow uh which came out in 58 is the place i know drag racing from the most it's it's sort of a drag racing hot rodding haunted house movie without very much drag racing or haunted house stuff in it oh i love it so much and i want to watch it again right now but anyways ralph soups his car up we're gonna drag race skizzy the Fonz is going to do this, and we see the Fonz, hey, during the drag race, he is in his leather jacket, I believe, for the first time. It's nighttime, it's probably a little chillier. You know, everyone's standing out there. I, I, they're doing their drag stuff. I, 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 drag stuff. I, I keep thinking of RuPaul whenever I talk about drag racing. It, it's great because you always see in, like, Fast and the Furious, not the 50s Fast and the Furious, which isn't really drag racing, right? It's on the run kind of a movie i haven't seen that in ages but like in fast and the furious the the, the franchise of films i would the, the, the bits i see and i haven't seen a fast and the furious film i've seen some trailers and i've been on the ride at universal studios there's always like a, a an attractive woman with like a flag waving around in this we get ron howard waving a flag around but then we get mr c grabbing the uh, the flag which i love that great moment where richie shows up and stops the race because we can't have this happen yeah mr c obviously gets arrested they all gets get arrested and uh, Mr. C is not happy. It's a pretty funny scene when the camera pans over all these kids and then it stops on Mr. C and, and the cop keeps making fun of him for being this older guy, keeping it in the family. And yeah, Mr. C is very pissed and grounds Richie for life and then just pulls off and makes it just for a few weeks. Uh, speaking of the Fonz there, this this is has some good Fonz stuff in it too where he really seems to be pals with ralph in this he fixes up ralph's car and then when skizzy insults ralph you know the fonz says i'll do the driving and there's a lovely moment when the cop in the end who knows who the fonz is fonzie uh, it's i'm so ashamed to or, or it's so strange sitting here for dragon and fonz says very you know sincerely as the fonz will you know he skizzy insulted a friend of mine i felt it was my duty to race and that's lovely it's lovely and poor mr c though he is not too happy with getting arrested i think they all get let go with just like a you know don't do this again kind of thing so i don't think it's gone mr c's permanent record but still let's see what else do we have in this episode oh oh i'm sorry i forgot to the writers uh, let me just give you the writers uh real quick mark rothman and lowell gans they were co-creators of laverne and shirley mark rothman i believe was head writer on happy days for some time he wrote for uh odd couple he, he done a lot he's done a lot of stuff you'll see his name uh pop up on on lots of stuff i think he's still alive and, and well and still writing i believe i i believe yes yes he is I hope. God, I hope I'm not lying, Mr. Rothman. I apologize if I am. 
the other writer, Lowell Gans, you probably know better for uh, his collaborations with Babalu Mandel. Lowell Gans, Babalu Mandel, best writing duos names of like the the 80s and 90s and they wrote they wrote films like night shift directed by ron howard starring henry winkler they wrote uh splash uh spies like us um vibes parenthoods the two city slickers league of their own mr saturday night they did a whole bunch of stuff a whole lot of fun fun films the like the 80s like if you saw their names on a film it was probably going to be a pretty funny fun time uh, even when like i don't remember spies like us being particularly great but i remember aren't there some fart jokes in that that are hilarious aren't they always i don't know i i have to go see spies like us again i, I don't think i've seen it since the late 80s vibes i think i saw vibes when it came out haven't seen it since i hope it's great let's talk potsy for a moment as i mentioned potsy will become an idiot as the show goes along but he's still kind of a troublemaker-esque character at this point always getting Richie into trouble and Richie I mean this is what of the four episodes we've had so far this is yeah pretty much four of them with Potsy uh well if you count Love American Style he was the one who convinced Richie to ask that gal out who kind of half broke his heart at the end of the episode so I guess Potsy's five for five with leading Richie astray and Richie really needs to stop listening to his best friend Potsy what's a Potsy Mr. C once asked, I think that's something to, to ask again and really, really consider what's a Potsy? What's a Potsy mean to you? And what else do we have here? Oh, we got the assorted nuts. I, I don't quite fully get what this is. I mean, it's it's a gang, gang, gangettes. Skizzy is hanging out with all these gals who have like assorted nuts written on the back. It's like assorted nuts, chestnut and stuff like that. And Jean who is Skizzy's gal who, who Richie likes and who seems to like Richie. I can't I can't quite tell. It's it's funny that when when Richie talks to Jean, it's clear obviously that he he likes her. Uh, but she's kind of a skizzy, but the way they talk is really sweet. And but you can't quite tell when they're talking. I've had chats with gals like that before. I can remember from high school and college. I don't remember if those are chats where it's like, hey, we're kind of we kind of like one another, or whether it's chats just like where she's like, hey, you're cool. I, I hope to see you soon. And I'm like, is she saying she she wants to see me soon because I'm just cool? She wants to hang out? Or maybe should I ask her out? Or usually, 90% of the time, those things ended with me just making a fool out of myself. But those scenes are, you know, they're lovely scenes. And there there is something about Jean, too, where when she's with Skizzy, she acts kind of she laughs at everything Skizzy does and likes everything he does but then when she's talking to Richie she seems to be very different so um, I hope that it's not something where she has a medical problem uh, but she's regardless I, she's a nice character I don't think we'll see her again she's going to go the way of Vern Laverne uh, although although Jean is certainly more appropriate for Richie than Vern Laverne I wonder if Vern Laverne ever came I don't know why I just don't call her Vern or, or a Vern, a Vern. Um, I, I don't I wonder if she came over for dinner I, I, I thought you know what I thought we watched Richie's Cup Runneth Over. Then I put Guess Who's Coming to Visit, and I thought it was her. I thought she was going to come over for a visit. She, it was just going to like, ding dong, let me get the door, Marion. He opens the door, there's a cake there. Take the top off the cake. What? Take the top off the cake. Howard, what's happening over there? There's a gigantic cake on the front doorstep, and it's talking to me. Please take the top off the cake, it's getting really warm in here. I'm going to take the top off the cake, Marion. 
don't take the top off of anything, Howard, until I get over there. I'm going to have to do it. Please take the top off the cake. Hey, Ma, Daddy's going to take the top off a giant cake. Hey, Dad, what's going on? Chuck, you get back to school or whatever it is you live. Take the top off the cake. Take the top off the cake. And then it just goes from there. But it's not. It's about Potsy coming to visit. And the episode is sort of pitched as being more about the drag race anyway. So, so there you go. Just a few more things, and then I just wanted to discuss something that kind of throws a bit of a wrench in my timeline here they do watch the untouchables oh yes that's right they watch an episode of the untouchables and they love it and of course that began in october of 1959 you know what we're, we're not at the end of 1959 almost in 1960 that's that can't be right okay i was gonna i was gonna talk about some other stuff let's talk about the dating now i had thought the untouchables began in 1957 and i don't know why that was the moment i said mentioned it i suddenly thought oh boy so they are very specifically watching an episode of the untouchables in here and they mention uh next episode will be part two when he finally meets frank nitty uh one of them i think Joni says oh i love the untouchables which implies that they're not watching like the first episode or something because you you say it because you're watching it uh again at least the second or third or fourth time or something and they say next in uh, part two Next week in part two, uh, you know, finally meets uh, uh, Frank Nitty. And it's like, the, there are only two two-parters in Untouchables. One of them is the unhired assassin in February and March of 1960, and another one doesn't seem to have Frank Nitty in it. So, I mean, I feel like that was a family thing where they sat down to watch the Untouchables. And if so, apparently we're in 1960? No, that doesn't make sense. I am putting that Untouchables thing down to the same spot as the Milton Burl thing. Um, although I know they are sitting there watching. Yeah, I'm having a tougher and tougher time doing this. Gosh, yeah, my, my whole uh, dating is getting thrown off by this because I still say this is 57-ish. However, during the final scene, when everyone's hanging out after they've been released and it's, it's the next day, Splish Splash is playing. And Splish Splash came out in 1958. Oh, God. May of 1958, the Bobby Darren song Splish Splash. And it's playing as everyone leaves, and then it kind of fades out, and then another song comes up. And if they're dancing to Splish Splash, and I've, I've said before, like with All Shook Up, you know, you kind of go to the latest date. Well, technically, um, we're, I guess, in 1960 or something now. But I, no, leave out the untouchables just for the moment. And so we're in 1958? I guess we could be. I mean, there, there's no... There's no concept behind, really, um, it, it, we're not getting any, everything being in order in here. We're just getting a random series of um, sort of vignettes and stories told about these teenagers in the late 50s. So, so maybe the first three episodes were set in the spring of 57, and this is set a year later. It could be. I don't know. It could be. Um, I find that a little strange because uh, that would um, bump Richie and Potsy and Ralph up a year in high school. I'm, I'm going to tell you in a minute why I think Splish Splash is non-diegetic and we will go from there. Um, and part of where this goes from in, involves the edge of the set, the edge of the Arnold set. This is something we will be talking about a lot later on. And this is Jerry Paris and the edges and the tops and the sides of sets. But uh, I'm just going to make a quick scan. Before we go to that, I just make a quick scan, make sure I covered everything. We're dragging, we're hanging out, we're doing this, we're doing that. We're, Yeah, I, th I think we got everything covered apart from that 
darn untouchables thing. And what is wrong with all the seats in Arnold's? Have you seen there's an overhead shot in Arnold's? They're all torn up and everything. Fix those friggin' seats, Arnold, or, or whoever. Who is, who is it? Who owns it at this point? We haven't seen them yet. We do see Marsha properly. Marsha, from the previous episode with the mannequin head, she shows up and she has a scene in the beginning and a scene at the end. And the guys kind of pick on her a little bit and she just kind of rolls her eyes at them a lot. But I think I've covered everything in this episode that I wanted to cover. Yeah, it's 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 a fun episode. I mean, it's it's got a it's got a nice movement to it, and there's always something happening. And yeah, the drag race bit is fun, and then the scene with the in the, the police station is fun. It is it is great to see how angry Mr. C is compared to the way he was in the previous episode. And then you get the closing scene, and I guess we'll go to the closing scene right now, because this is me trying to justify how a song from 1958 is playing now like i said the untouchables i don't know that i can i can give you that that really seems to be an episode from late 59 1960 which doesn't jibe with anything else going on here i mean it doesn't make sense to me that we'd have a show that's supposed to be set in the 50s where the fourth episode seems to be set in 1960 yeah that doesn't fully make sense to me maybe 58 but i'm still seeing my 57 and i'm doing that because of the final scene so the final scene begins with uh it starts off and you hear splish splash playing and, uh, and everyone's in arnold's and they're dancing so the scene begins you hear splish splash playing it fades up and Marsha is delivering like a gigantic like banana split to a very large young man who's sitting by himself at a booth and he's sitting on the booth if, if we're looking at Arnold's you know straight ahead the set straight ahead and in the very foreground are the series of booths generally there are gang sets over on the left are more booths the right side is the jukebox and the restrooms the far wall are two tables up against the wall little wall and then like the that, that green door with the uh, the porthole thing on it where they go in and out of and like the place with the chef puts the food and the center is the dance floor. So on the on the left side there, in sort of the middle booth, there is this kind of large boy, kind of fat fat kid, uh, nerdy kid. Oh, and speaking of that aside, there's a nerdy kid earlier on who has a demon's jacket on. I think that's something we should remember. So it pans over, gets the banana split. He's really excited. He starts to eat. The camera follows Marsha, and we see the Fonz and Skizzy uh, arm wrestling, and the Fonz wins. And then everyone starts dancing. Then Ralph says, oh my gosh, it's 5.30 or whenever it is. Everyone who's grounded has to go. Everybody leaves. Marsha shows up and says, oh, these these drag races, this, you know, everyone grounded really clears out the place. And then you see that the kid is still there eating his Sunday. And there's another gal who looks kind of nerdy sitting in that foregrounded series of booths on the one up against the wall, the wall where the restroom doors are and the jukebox is. And she is reading something and he's eating a banana split. Right before everybody leaves, you see a gal very specifically push a button on a jukebox. A song starts playing, and that's, what is it, The Little White Cloud That Cried, which is a song by Johnny Ray from 1951. And it's very croony-type, maudlin-type song. It's not, it's not one of those maudlin 50s tracks like where a gal and his is and her guy go off a cliff or something like that you know not one of those my gal is dead songs that you get it's sort of it's sort of very elvis old shep style where it's like oh this is maudlin and they and and basically the 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 kid and the gal they get up they cross to each other look look at each other smile each other they start dancing and the episode ends we get this huge overhead shot of the set probably a bit more the set than we should be seeing uh, but it's it's kind of a lovely ending, and it's it matches actually the beginning where when the episode begins, we get an extended part of the Happy Days theme playing, and if 
of course, if you want to talk diegetic versus non-diegetic song, sound, so, song, songs and sounds, the Happy Days theme was written, you know, around 1973, 1974. It's not from the 50s. So whenever we hear that, uh, but having said that, um, yeah, the opening... In the opening thing, there's just a series of a couple little vignettes with like a couple, as the Happy Days extended version is playing, they're eating French fries and kissing, and then there's a gal accidentally sprays his gal, girl, guy sprays his gal in the face with ketchup, and the little vignettes, and this sort of ends like that too, like um, after all the cool kids are gone, these two kids are a little bit nerdy, they get together and they dance to a lovely song in the empty, empty Arnold's, and it's a, it's a Swedish scene, uh, it's, it's one of those things where when you see the guy and you see the gal, it looks very much like um, what I could think of when I saw the guy was better off dead. You know, John Cusack's neighbor in that, the, the fat kid with the crazy mom, sorry your mom blew up, who they take him, Diane Franklin is the French exchange student, and uh, Diane Franklin is gorgeous, and this fat kid is, is just kind of gross. And and that's kind of what it, it looks like. It looks like it looks like the, 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 the guy is the kid from Better Off Dead, the neighbor from Better Off Dead, and the gal is sort of like a... She doesn't look like Diane Franklin, but if they put glasses on Diane Franklin and like put her hair in a slightly unattractive way uh, and then just you know had her stroll out, and it's like, yeah, you're not fooling me. That, that woman is very attractive, and that kid is just kind of gross. So to me... Well, there, there are two things to go. One is the dating... Um, the, when is this set... I'm still sticking with Spring 57, and the reason why I'm sticking with Spring 57 is I think that the Cunninghams have sort of some sort of time travel TV, and they're able, it's a time-space visualizer, and they're able to pick out anything they want, although the time-space visualizer, I think, just went back in time. That's from a Doctor Who story, uh, The Chase. That went back in time. The time-space visualizer in the Cunningham's place goes forward and backward in time. So I can't tell you how they're watching The Untouchables. I can't do that, because that would be at least three years ahead of where we're supposed to be and in the 60s not the 50s so that that we'll we'll, we'll pay attention and maybe in an episode or two there'll be something we can legitimately say no that didn't happen i can hop ahead one year but three years no i can't do that the thing that makes me keep splish splash out of it is if you watch the scene with the gang and the arm wrestling and everything like that uh, there is some lovely chat between Gene and Richie, but you'll notice that the scene begins with Splish Splash is playing, and it doesn't sound, it sounds like it's dubbed in. It doesn't fully sound like it's there. They're clearly dancing to something. The camera pans over. The camera immediately is Marsha to the kid getting his Sunday, and then it ends with the kid and the gal dancing. I think that, and it ends with them dancing to a song from 1951. So I think that this is... I think that the kid is there all alone. And I think the kid is just hearing just whatever song in his head. I don't... You know, maybe he's he's anticipating Splish Splash or whatever. But I think the music that's playing is just meant to be... Just some, some sort of rock and roll is playing that this kid doesn't really go in for. And all the cool kids are there. And all the cool kids leave. And as soon as they're gone and he's alone, he fantasizes music that he prefers and a gal who will dance with him. So I think I think the episode ends with the previous scene with Richie being told he's only grounded for a few weeks. I think that's where the episode ends. I think the moment where she, the scene fades in, you hear splish splash, the Sunday is handed off until the episode fades out, I think is a dream and I think isn't real. And my justification for that is the wall. When you see the foregrounded, and we're going to talk this a lot, when you see the foregrounded 
booths, not quite in this episode, but almost, the camera is is obviously, there's no wall there. Presumably, there should be a wall. Where we're, like, like during the arm wrestling scene, Richie, Richie is like right at the edge of the booth, close to camera. Presumably, there's a wall there. I don't know how many diners... I mean, th- there might be a little bit of a space before a window, but generally in a diner, there'd be a wall right there. I forget, the booths would be up against the wall, and there'd be, there are no windows on any other side, so this side must... They must have windows there, unless the whole thing is without windows. So, And it's not, because we can see windows when we're outside of it. I've always thought the wall is up against those booths, and there's windows there, and when we're seeing no wall, that's just a, that's just sort of a staging conceit that they're up against the wall. Now, Richie kind of moves himself a little bit at the end where he seems to go up against the wall a little too much, but we'll, we'll give him the out on that. And plus, you can see, not in this episode per se, but almost in the first scene they have in the booth, if you look at the ground, you can almost see the point where the set ends and there's a little drop where it goes onto the studio floor. You'll be able to see that in later episodes, but not here. Because the booths go along the front, they go until they sort of connect with the booths against the left wall that go along to the next wall. So so it, there'd have to be a wall there. Maybe, like I said, maybe there's a little space, but whatever. Here's the thing. Watch the sequence, and I've been talking way too long about this, folks. Again, I'm trying to keep these short, but I'm trying to include everything, and this timing thing is really throwing me off. Watch when everybody leaves, the kid with the Sunday looks up, and he sees the gal doing her work. What is the first thing you notice? That the booth is in the center. It's up against the wall. It's in the center of the frame. And there's space on our left, her right, which would be towards the restroom wall. But then there is also a lot of space on the right. And in fact, there's like a no no trespassing sign or something like that hanging to her left, our right. So there's at least like six feet of space beyond the edge of the booth. So so when we see Richie sitting on the edge of the booth close to camera, there's like six feet of space there. Why don't people use that space? Why aren't people out in that space? Why do we never see people moving around in that space? Because that space isn't there. Because there's a wall there. Because we're not supposed to be seeing that. Because this is a dream in the mind of this this lonely young guy who is in the wrong generation to be a nerd. If he was born 50 years later, he would be having the time of his life. But as it is, he's going to have a bit of a rough time of it. And so I think he's seeing this young woman who looks kind of nerdy like him, but is obviously gorgeous, just sitting in the space with all this space around her. You know, she's not like crunched up against the wall. She's got all this space around her and he's inviting her into dance. And so when he hears Splish Splash, he isn't hearing anything. He's just hearing random noise. We're getting Splish Splash, probably because they had the rights to Splish Splash. But then it goes to other music that he prefers, like I said. So I think from the moment it fades up, you hear Splish Splash, the Sunday is dropped off to the end, boom, that's all in the mind of that kid. Maybe that scene happened up until the point where everyone leaves and he sees the gal, but I don't think Splish Splash was playing, and I don't think there was any dancing with him and the gal in the end, and I'm going to stop talking right there. Feel free to argue with me. I still say this is set in 57, regardless of what else is going on that's staring me in my face, telling me it's not. I mean, there's not really... I mean, the two main things in this are... Um, Splish Splash and The Untouchables both was set it after 57, but I stand firm and we'll see what the next episodes have to bring. So that, everyone, is the episode... I went on for a bit there in that one, but I... Ah, I kind of... I'm one of the assorted nuts. Would I be a walnut? I don't know. Pine nut? 
that was episode two of Rockin' All Week with you, the Happy Days podcast. And again, my name is Dan Butnick. Uh, and I would say email me if you want at dannyslacks at yahoo.com. Or uh, I'm putting this up on my Eventually Super Train site, eventuallysupertrain.blogspot.com. Feel free to leave a comment on there. Tell me what you think of the story. And next time we will be doing episodes five and six of the show, Hardware Jungle and the Deadly Dares of 1957. Okay, I lied. It's just the Deadly Dares, but I um, I, I thought if I had... Uh, never mind. Forget about it. Okay, so that's episode two, everyone. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, yeah, if, if, you, if there's something else in there time-wise that's telling you something that I'm missing, please give me a shout. I will talk to you soon. Keep on rocking. One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. Five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, rock. Nine, ten, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, rock. We're gonna rock around the clock tonight.